The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Greetings, geeks, and welcome to another edition of Wizards Half. This is mini-episode 75.5. These are the episodes where we get into all the nitty-gritty details we didn't have time for on the main episode. And I sure hope you enjoyed my conversation with Robert Brockway from 1900hotdog.com. Guys, it was a real dream come true for me to have that conversation. He is one of the people that just makes me laugh so hard. Obviously, you heard me giggling all throughout. It's one of those things, just his perspective on the world fascinates me the things that he zeroes in on and of course if Rob Liefeld didn't hate us before we certainly gave him a reason in fact I feel like that's our goal now right is he was already mad for no particular reason other than we were associated with Wizard Magazine we might as well give him some justification <laughs> he certainly gives us enough ammo but anyway uh, there was so much more than that in that episode so if you have not checked out episode 75 a 7-1 for sure sure. But hey, Michael is going to be back for our next episode, which is the Marvel Heroes Return special. And at the end of this mini episode, I'll tell you who our guest is for that. In the meantime, you know the drill. We got to get into Cap's Kooky Contests. Alright, first up here, Marvel Comics presents the Deadpool's All Mixed Up Contest. Let's face it, Marveloids, Deadpool's All Mixed Up. He's in love with a certain X-Force gal he'll never have. He almost died from a terminal disease, and to top it all off, his face looks like yesterday's pizza. And yet, he still manages to crack a joke a minute. What a guy. Anyway, since Deadpool's so ultimately mixed up, we want you to try and unmix his crazy life. Listed below are six members of Deadpool's supporting cast. The only trick is, they're scrambled. If you successfully unscramble all six character names, you'll have a shot at winning some of these fantastic prizes. Grand prize? One lucky contest winner will receive the Ultimate Deadpool prize package, an autographed page of artwork from penciler Ed McGinnis, an autographed script from writer Joe Kelly, and a congratulatory phone call from editor Mike... Matt. Mike, Mike, Mike. Matt Edelson. Matt Idolson. Wow, took a while to get to that one. And hey, just for the taste of it, just for the feel of it, a complete set of Deadpool comics from number one to the current issue. About $200 worth of prizes. Second prize, five runners-up will each receive a full set of Deadpool comics from one to the current issue. Hey, that ain't bad, you gotta say. So they have Deadpool's wacky cast of characters. First one here, I-L-B-D-N-L-D-F-R-A-E. Hmm... Uh, that's Alfred... I don't know the other name. Oh, Blind Alfred. What am I saying? I'm a fool. Okay, Blind Alfred. Okay, Blind Al from the movies. Okay. The second one is... Y-R-N-I-S, so that's Siren from X-Force. I assume that's the one he had a crush on, which I was not aware of. That was part of his history. Uh, let's see. The next one is S-E-E-W-L-A, Marvel character. Mm. Yeah, but I don't have that one. All right, next one, four, is A-T-Y-R. A-T-Y-R. Hmm, that's another one I feel like I should know. That's the dash should be the major giveaway, right? So is it like Y-Rat? Like, that's the first thing that comes to mind for me is something that would work. 
Arte? <laughs> Sorry, I don't know that one either. Number five is I-P-Y-H-O-D-T-A-M-Y-R. So Mary... Mary who? Mary... Oh, Typhoid Mary. What am I saying? Typhoid Mary, of course. And the last one here, H-T-P-C-A. H-T-P-C-A. So guys, I'm doing this in real time here. C-H... A-P-T? No, that's a chapit. That wouldn't be it. <laughs> this one's hard. Okay. Anyway, I'm sure you guys can figure these out. Uh, there was no domino on this list at this time. So, all right. Now, this month's contest is sponsored by Marvel Comics, the House of Ideas. And let's take a look at the Pool of Dead Lawyers, is what they're calling the legal text here. Contest open to anyone except employees of Wizard Press, Marvel Comics, their immediate families, and Deadpool's cousins, Waiting Sess and Kitty. Get it? Waiting pool? Cesspool? Kitty pool? Oh, wizard. All right, next one here. Prizes are awarded in the names of the contest winners and are not transferable. A real Deadpool, you know, where you place bets to see what people will die, is evil. If you are part of one, you will be crushed by furniture and go to hell. Anyway, let us go into our next contest here. This is actually a big one. This is the fifth annual Wizard Scavenger Hunt, okay? It's in collaboration with DC Comics and Mercury Records. So I'm curious to see how that all plays out here. So let's take a read. It says the grand prize, one and only one scavenger will win a virtual treasure chest of comic book artwork, 20 pieces of original art. These pieces have been generously donated by the talented folks to the right. And as you can see, they're all top notchers. So who we have here, Sergio Aragones, Chris Bocciolo, Jim Ballant, John Bogdanove, Jim Calafiori, Stephen Hughes, Stuart Eminen, Dan Jurgens, Andy Kubert, David Mack, Terry Moore, Carlos Pacheco, Jimmy Palmiotti, Brandon Peterson, Adam Polina, Howard Porter, Randy Queen, John Romita Jr., Paul Ryan, and Mike Waringo. So man, you got some classic artists there. You got some up-and-comers who were just getting on the scene. What I find interesting about this is we get Andy Kubert, but no Adam. Adam was too busy? Come on. They're always a pair. All right, now let's see here. The runners-up, and even if you're not the great gazoo of all winners, 100 runners-up will receive the following package of assorted goodies. A Lois and Clark trade paperback from DC. A Mercury Records CD. I found that hilarious. They won't even tell you which one. Just whatever we got. A Wizard Chicago Comic-Con staff t-shirt. You won't find that anywhere else, except that we have one of those in the archives. So we're very proud of that. Bright orange. Two assorted, really cool autographed comic books. One Rembrandt Ultra Pro comic board combo. A full set of Wizard Chromium cards. Oh, we need that. An Angela decal. You remember from the Spawn special that you could send away for that. A Nightwing Chromium tricard signed by Chuck Dixon. A copy of Ash Half signed by Joe Quesada and Jimmy Palmiotti. And a surprise Wizard Ace edition. Hmm. I would have liked to have been one of those 100 there, but let's see here. The Randomizer 10. 10 lucky scavengers chosen completely at random will receive either a porcelain statue or vinyl model kit from among these exciting characters. Green Lantern, that's Kyle Rayner, Smiley Bone, Lady Death, Red Electra, Evil Ernie, Witchblade, War, Arzak, the Crow, and the Alien. Yes, that alien. Although I'm going to admit, 
I don't know who War is. I don't know who Arzak is. And they actually do not show those models here in the picture. So, oh, there they are. Never mind. They're out of the box. I just thought that was like a weird version of the Spectre. No idea. Now it says, want the prizes? Here's how to enter. You'll find a list of 75 different items to find and questions to answer. Each item in question is worth a specific point value. Find the items, answer the questions, bundle them up, all on the same box, and send it in. The top point total wins and all ties will be decided by random drawing. And make sure to use the official wizard scavenger hunt checklist or a photocopy of a buddy's if you're cheap, provided for you in the poly bag of this issue. It's worth five points just to use it. All right, so they do have them listed here. I'm just going to point out a few that stand out to me the most. One is Eddie Dukes of Hazard merchandise. I literally woke up this morning thinking about that because I'm going to RetroCon this year and Catherine Bach is going to be there, Daisy Duke, and Tom Wopat is going to be there, waiting to see if we get a, a trio of Dukes of Hazard people, so we'll find out. Next here is a Fun Dip wrapper. Also a Wizard logo, which I find interesting. I guess you just cut it out of a magazine or something, and they're fine with that. This is funny. Picture of yourself in front of a sign that says no dumping. That definitely feels like it's in the wizard wheelhouse of laughs. Menu from a restaurant that serves blood pudding, escargot, haggis, or shepherd's pie. So that'd be an interesting one to try to track down because like most of those are like European, right? So I guess you're talking like a some type of Scottish bar or an English pub, but then you got to go to a French restaurant for the escargot. A rejection letter of any kind. <laughs> I'd love to see the mix of rejection letters people received. Uh, let's see. A blank congratulations card. Okay, that's random. A picture of Winona Ryder. Anything dealing with Smurfs? A weirdest website address you found. And in the early days of the internet, that would be something, I feel like. Uh, you could just send in a mouse pad. People had ma- mouse pads all over the place back in the 90s. A Pittsburgh Pirates baseball card. I think that was a Jim McLaughlin special. Let's see. A VHS tape. Hey, I had a bunch of those. I'm trying to see which one here is the most valuable. Six points is a picture of Charlie Chaplin, which I guess that was hard to come by, but I don't think so. There was a lot of Charlie Chaplin merch. For seven points, there's a photo of Animal from the Muppets, or the Allman Brothers logo would score you eight points if you happen to have an Allman Brothers record somewhere that you wanted to cut up. The Allman Brothers, yeah. One of those bands I always hear about could not tell you one of their songs. Even on, like, classic oldies radio, I don't think I've ever heard it. But I was trying to see if there's anything here that's like 10 points. It looks like the highest it goes. Oh, no, here it is. The 10, this one was kind of hiding in between some stuff because it's one word. Underoos! Exclamation point. So I guess if you could find a vintage pack of underoos, you know, preferably superhero, I'm sure, and send those in, then you were in good shape. All right, now the questions. Let's see if we can answer the questions for points. Number 71, in which Steve Martin movie does Martin say the word amalgam? Ooh, I don't even know. Is that the man with two brains? It's probably not the jerk, but I don't know. 72. What were the words to the end theme of the original Land of the Lost? I know the 90s reboot of Land of the Lost. It was just Land of the Lost. I used to watch that all the time. I actually have a VHS tape with a couple episodes on it. Let's see. 73 is what Empire Strikes Back character also hails from Chewbacca's home planet? What? Is there another Wookiee? 
in Empire Strikes Back? Wow, I'm really trying to think. I mean, it feels like it would have been, you know, in Cloud City walking around and you just don't notice it. Hmm. Okay, you're gonna have to tell me that one, Star Wars nerds. Next one here is who created Namor the Submariner? Oh, I feel like I should know this. I want to say Wally Wood, but it wasn't Wally Wood. Last one here. Who are the members of Captain Carrot's Amazing Zoo Crew? Okay, shame on me, because my friend and past guest on the show, Jeff, at nlogan77 on Twitter, he gifted me the first issue of Captain Carrot's Amazing Zoo Crew, and I have actually picked up some other issues since then. Just have not read them. So shame on me. Anyway, always fun to see what they're doing with the scavenger hunt every year. But let's take a look at the legal doings. Contest open to anyone except employees of Wizard Press, DC Comics, Rembrandt, Mercury Records, their immediate families, and that puppet from the Dark Crystal that kept taking her eye out of her head. That was Jim Henson's dark side come to life. I actually have like a whole bunch of Dark Crystal trading cards, just like piles and piles, because I had a whole box of them uh, that I got for a YouTube video I did years back. So if anybody uh, is looking to complete your set, let us know. All right, next one here... Yep, so there are no other jokes here. It looks like they actually had to uh, use all the space to add the different rules about the scavenger hunt contest because there's so many things that they've learned over the years of running it, you know? It's like small items such as a tooth or business card should be taped to an index card to avoid loss during shipping. Are they asking for a tooth? I didn't see that on a list. Uh, that seems like that might be a little sketchy. All right, let's get to back to a regular contest here as we're wrapping up. This is Ray. Andy Queen and Image Comics present Draw a Cover of Dark Child. It's Halloween, people, which means one thing and one thing only. Randy Queen's out trick-or-treating when he should be working on the next issue of Dark Child. This guy needs help with his artistic chores in the worst possible way. Think you're up to helping out? the trick. Randy's busy stuffing his face full of candy corn, which means he hasn't completed the sketch for his next cover yet, so he needs you to draw it. Yep, just sketch out whatever you think would make a nice Dark Child cover on an 8x10 piece of paper and mail it in. Grand prize. The grand prize winner will have his or her cover sketch used as the template for a cover of an upcoming issue of Dark Child. Yes, he'll even receive credit on the cover. Plus, he'll win a Dark Child poster, a Dark Child diary lithograph from Dynamic Forces, a signed Dark Child diary bikini edition what is that and a complete set of dark child comics signed by the main man himself randy queen second prize five second prize winners will receive a dark child poster and a full set of dark child comics autographed by randy queen Dark Side of the Law is what they are calling the legal text here. Contest open to anyone except employees of Wizard Press, Image Comics, their immediate families, and whoever points out the Dark Child is spelled wrong. You just don't get it. <laughs> Got that Y in there, an extra E. Looks very British. All right, next one here. Prizes are awarded in the names of the contest winners and are not transferable. That a Dark Child. She's a one to spice who meet a ball. See, Chris Pratt, that's how you do it. All right, <laughs> let's see if we have one more contest here before we wrap up. This one's called The Crow Soars Again. It's as easy as Blackbird Pie. This contest winner will be chosen randomly, which means that everyone who enters has an equal chance of winning these fantastic prizes. Grand prize, a pre-painted, cold-cast porcelain statue of Brandon Lee as the crow. This nifty statue is limited to only 1,500 pieces, and the grand prize winner gets number 100. Plus, he'll win a crow vinyl model kit. First prize, one first prize winner will receive the number 200 pre-painted cold-cast porcelain crow statue and a crow vinyl model kit. Wait, so 
100 versus 200? Is the 100 going to be more valuable? It feels like that's just two people basically winning the same thing. Uh, second prize, 10 second prize winners will each receive a Crow vinyl model kit. This month's contest is sponsored by Intelleg International, bird lovers of the best kind. I do find it interesting that this is the Brandon Lee Crow, obviously the most popular Crow, and not the Crow from City of Angels, which I guess did not do so well at the box office. All right, lawyers fly away is our legal text title here. Contest is open to anyone except employees of Wizard Press, Intelleg International, their immediate families, and whoever wants to eat crow. Hey, come on, man. Let's keep this PG-13. Hmm? <laughs> okay. Uh, next one here. No cash equivalent or substitute prize will be offered. Prizes are awarded in the names of the contest winners and are not transferable. Not that it's saying much, but the crow is the toughest bird-based superhero. Much tougher than either Blue Falcon or Birdman! Oh, gotta love your subbird, man. Blue Falcon was fine, but you know you were there for dynamite, right? I mean, that's just what it came down to. One last thing. I just want to see if we have any good follow-ups to the contest where we find out if anything cool was happening. Yeah, well, it does look like here there was a contest to draw what Bone would look like as a girl or a, a female Bone character, I guess it was. And so Derek Holloman of Maury, North Carolina drew this very cute little pasty Bone girl She's got a shirt with a heart on it. She's holding up a little looking glass, checking herself out. She's got big eyelashes. She's got a blonde ponytail with a purple bow sticking out the back. And then you have phone bone peeking out from behind a rock with a little heart. Because he's just like, oh, she's so dreamy. Anyway, there you go. That's it for Cap's Kooky Contest. Now let's get into our next segment. Hey, it's time to head east. And you know what I mean. We're going to check out that manga scene. Three, two, one. That's right, we're surprising you with a brand new segment here on the mini episodes. Checking out the manga scene section of this particular issue because it has a very interesting significance to this moment in time. I've been picking up a lot of comics from this era to kind of catch up, especially Marvel, but also I've been seeing it in Wizard advertised for the Marvel Imports imprint, where they were bringing over these foreign-based, uh, licensed out their characters in other countries and bringing them back to the States. And this one says here, Spider Manga, the Japanese version of Spider-Man, swings across the Pacific to America. So lots of interesting stuff here. Check it out. Is Yukimori strong? Listen, bud, he's got radioactive blood. Can he swing from a thread? Take a look overhead. Meet Komori, a high school student in Tokyo, Japan. Yu frequently gets laughed at for being a bookworm and a science nut. One day, a fateful accident happens to him in a lab. A spider, mutated from exposure to radiation, bites him, transferring its energy to Yu's body. Dazed, he wanders around, only to find he now possesses strange spider-like powers. If you think this story sounds familiar, you're not wrong. But it's not simply Spider-Man, it's Spider-Man The Manga, a new series for the recently launched Marvel label Marvel Imports due to hit the stands in late October. Manga may be a hot topic these days, but interestingly enough, Spider-Man The Manga, written and drawn by Ryoichi Ikigami, known for a manga titles such as Sanctuary and Crying Freeman, is it a recent adaptation of an American title like the she spin-off manga she 
2000, quite the opposite. Spider-Man the manga was done way back in 1970, making it true vintage Spidey. Long ago, Marvel licensed the character to Japanese publisher Kodansha, which currently publishes Gunsmith Cats. Given a fairly free hand, Ikigami decided to better reach his audience by making Spider-Man Japanese, while using some of the already established American storylines and adapting the supporting characters. Now, almost three decades later, the time is finally right to bring Spider-Man the manga to the United States, says its American editor, Tom Brevoort. Marvel has had the right to do this for years, and it basically seemed that the interest in Japanese comics in the United States has grown to the point where releasing the Spider-Man manga in English was a good idea. The original manga was reprinted in Japan in a five-volume set a few years ago, and a number of American comic shops have been special ordering it for their stores because U.S. fans are curious. This seemed an excellent title to begin the Marvel Imports label. So I find this really fascinating because if you're thinking about the 70s, right, that's when the Japanese Spider-Man TV series was on. And to see, like, kind of just in the history of, you know, that Super Sentai Power Rangers type show that there was a Spider-Man really coming around the same time that this 70s show was on CBS in America. So it's just interesting to see that Spider-Man was really having an expansion of exposure back in the day. So Brevoort continues explaining here. He says, You'll see villains like Electro, Mysterio, and the Lizard. They'll look the same and have the same powers, but they're not the same people as the American characters. Spider-Man's motivation for fighting crime is very different in the manga, too. Later on in the series, when Japanese science fiction author Kazumasa Hirai starts writing stories, the surprises will get even stranger. So I just think that's kind of fascinating to see like, okay, we're using all the same models, but we're changing the motivations behind them. And then Wizard explains, Spider-Man the manga will have a rather unusual publishing schedule. The first issue in late October will be 48 pages, but the title will become bi-weekly in November with two 32-page issues coming out every month. All the issues will be published in their original black and white format. And Brevoort says here, although the pacing may seem a little strange at times, we're going to do the best we can to hit the Japanese story breaks on target in the American version. Version. So, there you go. I actually would like to read these now, just to see, again, the changes. He, if any of you out there have had a chance to read the Spider-Man the manga, I'd love to hear your opinion of it. But while we're on the topic of manga and branching into anime, uh, I will say, you know I love The Giver. I bring it up all the time. Right now, this very cool company is releasing the Giver movie soundtrack on vinyl. I'm going to assume there's also going to be an audio cassette tape version because they focus on retro music releases of obscure movie soundtracks. And they're called Terror Vision Records. So if that is of any interest to you at all, I'm buying it first thing uh, when it comes out. It will be, you know, about a week old by the time you're getting this episode, but I'm sure they'll still have it in stock. So if you want the Giver movie soundtrack, it's pretty fantastic. Just giving you a hot tip there. But let's get into our next segment. Now it's time to check out the casting call with Lady Death the Movie. All right. 
right, so as you'll recall from the main episode, we gave Robert Brockway the opportunity to choose the casting call or to discuss a few of the costume contest entrants, and he decided, oh, he didn't want the sadness of the life of Anna Nicole Smith to go over this, but hey, I have no such concern, so let's get into it here. I'll be curious to hear those of you who are dedicated readers of Chaos Comics, if you have very strong opinions about this when we post it to social media. Now, here's what they had to say about the casting of Anna Nicole Smith. The busty ruler of the Endless Graveyard, where you go when you're pushing up daisies, would be portrayed very well by another busty gal with a little bit of bad girl in her, model Anna Nicole Smith. And hey, she even had an acting turn in Naked Gun 33 and a third, the final insult. Yes, I saw that in theaters, how about you? So when I think about this, though, Anna Nicole Smith, there's no way she could have conveyed, like, the gravitas of Lady Death. Like, certainly she could have posed for some posters, some publicity stills. But in terms of actually acting and bringing all of that to life, it just doesn't seem like it was a possibility. If the prerequisite is to be busty, I think that's easily fixed, as we saw in Tomb Raider with Angelina Jolie. So I would want to go for somebody who maybe has a little bit more nastiness in them, or maybe just a little more, you know, of an edge. So my pick has has to be Catherine Zeta-Jones. You might look at that and say, huh? But honestly, I could see her just like giving such an intense performance. She has so much attitude. And again, you're going to have to have her in a white wig and bleach her skin, you know, anyway. So to me, I just feel like she could have done an excellent job as Lady Death. Outside the box? Maybe so. You tell me, though, if you have another pick. Now, let's get into their other ideas, though, because there are several cast members that you, you might recognize, at least from the cover, of Chaos Comics if you never read them. For Evil Ernie, they want Gary Maggart from The Sentinel. I don't know why this guy would be the choice, but I do love the idea of having Evil Ernie in the movie, and they already had that costume that they were taking around to conventions. Most of the time, you just need someone with a cool voice, right? So you just need someone almost like... It, the weird thing is, I would imagine it would end up being somebody like Flea from Red Hot Chili Peppers, you know, because they'd want to give him some type of like, hey, I'm hip, I'm young, you know? But speaking of voices for evil Ernie's little sociopathic button, as they put it, his little smiley face with the crossbones. They wanted Bobcat Goldthwait, which I think is awesome. Now, for Dr. Mary Young, again, a character I don't remember. I'm sure she's just one of the people hunting evil Ernie at some point. They've selected Jessie Spano herself, Elizabeth Berkeley. So I, I don't know about that. They're just saying it's because she's shown herself to be strong-willed in her performances. So, okay. Now, for Purgatory, they want Salma Hayek. So, if you're going Catherine Zeta-Jones and Salma Hayek in a movie, uh, I think that's going to be awesome, especially if they're fighting. Like, that would just be a cool matchup to see. So that's interesting. For Dr. Leonard Price, who is uh, this guy who was doing these experiments on Ernie before he became evil Ernie and kind of unlocked him to get connected to Lady Death and get his powers, they want Lee Majors. Now, the weird thing is, the picture that they've chosen of Lee Majors is not, like, from the 70s, you know, like from the Fall Guy or Six Million Dollar Man. It's a picture, I guess, from the modern day. But unfortunately, he looks more like Jeff Daniels from Speed and Dumb and Dumber than he does like the classically majors. So that's kind of weird. For Dead King, they want Kevin Bacon. And I can 100% see that because he's good at playing creepy characters. He's a little skeletal and how skinny he is and just his bone structure. That could work. For Chastity, who is like this vampire gal, they want Ashley Judd, which... I see the look there, I see the style, and I think Ashley Judd maybe was not, I don't know, like, is she, like, 
have enough of an edge to her though because chastity is pretty much like kind of like a vampire bounty hunter as i remember so anyway uh cremator they want this guy jeff cober from the first power never seen him before never heard of the first power but he has got a very distinct face plus you're just gonna put him under a ton of makeup and a hood anyway so that seems like it works matthias who they're calling the medieval sorcerer daddy of lady death looks just like billy gibbons from the rock band zz top he wouldn't even need acting lessons he was in back to the future part three after all he was in back to the future part three playing his guitar on a stage he didn't have a line that's pretty funny though uh, it's weird seeing him here because you see him with his beard but no sunglasses on i'm like that's what billy gibbons looked like he looks super young i'm used to the, you know the gray white haired billy gibbons for pagan who is the court jester of hell they want dennis leary which i actually think would be pretty hilarious probably better that they didn't go with somebody like john leguizamo because we just had him as the clown and spawn at this point for kabbalah they want model tyra banks to be the vampire queen jade the chinese vampire they wanted tui trang from the crow city of angels but you might know her best as trini uh, from power rangers in fact if you just watch that power rangers now and forever reunion movie on netflix there's some great homages to her in that and the stories about that character's daughter becoming the new yellow ranger so sure go for it she was actually pretty intense in the crow city of angels i had never seen her on anything other than power rangers so i was like okay but yeah so that is the casting call for a lady death movie some very interesting choices there that's for sure but let's get into our next segment we want to find out what wizard thought of the current crop of comics so we're gonna check out the skinny All right, the first review here is for Peter Parker, Spider-Man. They say, is Spidey still caught in a web? And just a reminder at this time, this book was being written by Howard Mackey, drawn by John Romita Jr. What you need to know... I'm not going to tell you what you need to know. It's the origin of Spider-Man. Come on. But the good. Peter Parker's creative team does a pretty good job with the ball it's been handed, specifically the fact that Spidey's married to Mary Jane, a move which took away the enjoyable romantic problems for Peter. But it's nice to see in Peter Parker that being Spider-Man creates believable relationship problems for Peter and Mary Jane, so much so they actually visit a marriage counselor. Spidey works best when he's got all sorts of problems. Schoolgirls, work, etc. And thankfully, Peter Parker, he's got him again. It's also nice to see Spidey's witty banter following the universally panned clone saga every spidey writer seemed to force humor to make spidey fun again but peter parker nicely balances the seriousness and lightheartedness the art makes spider-man look fantastic dynamic and graceful it also conveys new york extremely well and the empire state university campus looks realistic on that note both the story and art capture the college campus feeling quite well now that peter and mary jane are attending esu also the series does a really good job of recapping recent events inside the actual story so newcomers will have no trouble jumping right in a prerequisite for any score that wizard is going to put above a two right so the, the first thing there obviously you know i was waiting to see what they thought of john Romita jr's art and they like it but we're about to get into the bad do they have any criticism of it let's find out well there are some interesting storylines there's way too many there's betty brand's new role as an investigative reporter the friends of humanity on campus the new superhero shock morbius biting spidey the mafia gang war etc all the various plots and subplots hit 
at roughly the same time, leaving no one plot to dominate the others. More story structure with a beginning, middle, and end is needed. Some of the plots just drag on, particularly the Morbius storyline. What could have been a simple vampire storyline turned into a huge mafia war involving Hydra. Then there are the Stacys, relatives of Peter Parker's late girlfriend Gwen. Paul Stacy is angry at Spider-Man for the death of his brother and niece. Sure, dragging up stuff from Spidey's past can sometimes make for good stories, but these characters are a tedious distraction and their plot is going nowhere. The buzz. Unfortunately, there ain't any. Ever since Spidey's clone saga, people really aren't buying Spider-Man like they used to. The skinny. After a rocky road, Peter Parker has put Spidey back on the right track. Unfortunately, the lack of structured stories with a beginning and resolution makes this book somewhat unfocused. But still, the verdict? A four. So that's a pretty solid score overall. So I've been critical of John Romita Jr. in the past. I've been extra critical of Kazar just in concept and having some fun at that book's expense. So let's find out what they thought of Mark Wade and Andy Kubert after the first six issues of this book. What you need to know. Lord Kevin Plunder is Kazar, the protector of the Savage Land, a secret prehistoric world hidden in the heart of Antarctica. He resides there with his wife Shauna, their infant son Matthew, and his saber-toothed tiger Zabu. The good. After warming the bench for third-string heroes, Kazar is finally a character readers can care about. The relationship between the Plunders is quite believable, particularly when they squabble over philosophical differences. Shauna wants no sign of technology in her home, while Kazar sneaks CD players around because he still enjoys society's funky toys. This tug of war between the two is an enjoyable underlying theme. Also, Kazar's relationship with Zabu is more than just a boy and his dog. It's a man and his best friend. Zabu acts as his pal and weapon, protecting Kazar and his family at all costs. Kazar is a fun book, and the lighthearted approach makes the book easy to get into. And even Kazar gets in on the fun while attending a gala event. He does his best Tarzan impression, eating with his hands and warning Zabu to avoid an ice sculpture because, quote, strange beast is cold to Kazar's Touch! Behind closed doors, however, he and Shauna laugh it up at his act. The art is fantastic, it's dynamic, energetic, and fluid. The jungle scenes with dinosaurs are so neat that it's disappointing when Kazar heads to the cityscape of Manhattan for a few issues, but all the accurate NYC references, particularly the cool blue whale at the Museum of Natural History, make up for it. Now, the bad. While they don't really hinder the plot, there are a number of nagging little problems with Kazar. Sometimes the series gets a bit too silly, like when Shauna brings Zabu, tropical plants and even dinosaurs into a high-rise Manhattan hotel room? And then there's the fact that Kazar supposedly witnessed his brother Parnival's death back in the 1980s Kazar series? It was retroactively explained that one of Parnival's flunkies had actually died, which seems a bit forced. And speaking of Parnival, not until Kazar tossed him out of the building did Parney start freaking out with a massive germ phobia, which came out of nowhere. Also, it seems pretty ridiculous that a universe conqueror like Thanos would choose to rely on someone so trivial as Parnival. But to be fair, the their relationship hasn't been revealed yet, so hopefully there will be a great explanation. That was way too much Parnival. There's one more reason I would not read this book. Parnival? No. The Buzz. Two hot creators equal one hot book. Fans are already hip to this series, thanks to Wade and Kubert's high-profile name power and the obvious quality they bring to the book. Barring minor problems, Kazar is an energetic, action-packed book. We didn't think it possible, but Kazar's finally stepped up to prove he's more than just a third-rate guest star. The verdict? A five. Kazar is rating higher than a Spider-Man book. And man, you guys are telling me this on social media. It's a great book. I love that series. Mm, I just don't see it. But again, everybody's tastes are different. 
Aquaman. Oh, so now we're getting back into this era with Peter David and Jim Calafiore. So this is issues 29 through 36. So kind of in the middle of this run, it looks like. What you need to know, Arthur Orrin Curry is Aquaman, king of Atlantis and the oceans, who is trying to come to terms with his heritage and responsibilities as king. He has the power to control sea life and his left hand has been replaced with a cybernetically controlled harpoon. The good. Aquaman is a rich book of history, politics, and undersea environments. Arthur is the latest king in the centuries-old history of Atlantis, and this book makes a person believe it exists in an ocean that's a world all its own. When a mysterious chasm is discovered, Aquaman is questioned in issue number 29 as to how he didn't know about it, and replies that the ocean is three times as vast as the land. At that point, the potential for the series is summed up. The art is superb, and does an excellent job bringing the underwater environment to the reader. Characters' movements always reflect the fact that they are floating in water, and the meticulous detail given to fish, plant life, and structures is impressive. The book's also philosophical. Aquaman struggles with being king. It gets behind the philosophies of leadership without getting preachy to the reader. In the end, readers will find Aquaman likable, forceful, and believable as a king. In a past issue, he threatens Japan itself and comes out on top. The supporting cast is enjoyable as well. His girlfriend Dolphin and Tempest, his former sidekick Aqualad, are interesting, and even the different kinds of sea life become distinctive personalities. The bad. Much of the rich history and activity in this book has no explanation to it, which makes the book very reader unfriendly. Those who haven't read the series from issue number one will ask unanswered questions. Why exactly were the Poseidonians? Poseidonians? <laughs> Enslaved by the Tritonians? Why is Aquaman called Orin sometimes? Why is Poseidonus atop a huge skull-shaped rock? With so much activity going on, the fact that the book doesn't have a what's happened before box is surprising. Guest stars are usually handled well in the book, but rarely seem to go with the flow of the title. Issue number 35, Guest Starring Animal Man, is a particular example where if a person skipped the whole issue, he would still have the main storyline basically intact. The buzz. Peter David is a hot writer, and Aquaman's involvement in JLA is bringing a lot of attention to the book. At first, the character's new attitude and powers were questioned by fans who have since accepted and appreciated them. The skinny. The richness of the environment is brought to life with so little backstory that instead of being wondrous, the book ends up being confusing. The verdict, a four. So there were any, like, terrible reviews in this issue, which is, I guess, pretty good. The current crop of books that were out there are just okay. They're good. They're not great, but they're fine. So I guess Kazar was the one shining star among them all. Didn't see that one coming. But hey, uh, let's close this thing out by taking a look at our top 10 heroes and villains. So this one is super fun and super spooky for Halloween because this is the top 10 still dead heroes and villains. In honor of that spooky season Halloween, we interrupted our regularly scheduled Here's the Top 10 Hottest Characters list to bring you the top 10 characters who are still dead. Although since we're talking about comic books, uh, that's no longer the case for several of these characters because number one on our list is... Bucky! All right! Comic book axiom number one tells us that Bucky's the only guy who stays dead, and good soldier that he is, James Buchanan Barnes is holding that up. He's been sleeping the dirt nap for 53 years now without one single legitimate resurrection. That's fine by us. Bucky was quite the lame ass anyway. <laughs> 
he had no superpowers and only got to be Captain America's sidekick because he accidentally stumbled on Cap's secret identity. But at least he died well. Bucky slabbed out during World War II while trying to stop a Nazi plane loaded with bombs. He died for his country and set the precedent for the disposable sidekick. What a trooper. Number two, though, is Uncle Ben Parker, who I had a little joke at his expense and being dead uh, on the main episode. Uh, it says, We are told there are only two hard and fast unbreakable editorial rules at Marvel Comics. One is that you never wake up Spider Editor Ralph Macho during his afternoon nap, and the second is that you can't bring back Uncle Ben. You see, Peter Parker only became the crime fight and amazing spider guy because he was feeling all guilty and stuff after he refused to stop a common burglar. A common burglar who later killed Petey's beloved Uncle Ben. Thus, Uncle Ben is the mechanism that created Spider-Man. Take that away, you take Spidey away. That's why Ben's been dead as a doornail for 35 years now. Now, number three, we know he's back too. Jason Todd in his Robin persona. Ooh, we like this one. Who killed Jason Todd? Was it the Joker? Nah. Jeffrey Dahmer? Nay. Botulism ice cream? Nope. It was the fans. You see, during the landmark 1988 A Death of the Family storyline that ran through Batman number 426 to 429, fans got to vote on whether or not they'd like to see Robin go to that big comic store in the sky. Through two special 900 numbers, fans could either vote for his survival or against it. Their decision? Death! By a margin of under 100, no less. So fans deliberately chose to ace Batman's little buddy, adding yet another disposal sidekick to the scrap heap. Good job, all. <laughs> and that is one of the early storylines that fascinated me. I remember getting the death in the family trade back in the day after my friend told me, did you know Robin died once? I was like, what? All right, number four is Baron Heinrich Zemo. Give Heinrich credit. He may have died stupidly, burying himself under a rock slide that he himself started, but at least he's had the common courtesy to stay dead. He stopped breathing in Avengers number 15 way back in 1965 and has stayed below ground ever since. Now his son, Baron Helmet Zemo, is a righteous pain in the ass. He's been dead about 43 kajillion times and he keeps coming back with at least three different names yet. From Phoenix to Baron Zemo to the current Citizen B. You would have thought Daddy taught Junior better. Oh well, hats off to you, Heinrich. You may have been Captain America's punching bag for years, but at least you did one thing right. Die. Number five here, we are looking at, this is a character that I just, I don't know, it's kind of funny that they put him on here, the Ancient One. Boy, there's a guy just begging for morgue reservations. By the time he finally bit the big green burrito of death, the Ancient One was over 500 years old. Now, while he probably enjoyed senior citizens discounted movie theaters for a number of years, he also had to put up with a boatload of old man problems like hemorrhoids, hearing loss, lack of bladder control, and liver spots. Trust us, it was a good thing he finally checked out. <laughs> I feel like the ancient ones just, even with all like the Doctor Strange hype lately, I just never think of that character. Number six is Jericho. Speaking of characters I rarely think of. Hey man, nice fro. Nice sideburns too. This refugee from the 1971-72 American Basketball Association season is Jericho. And he had the distinct honor and pleasure of being killed by his own daddy. You see, his pappy, Deathstroke, ran the former Teen Titan through with a sword, claiming all the time that he had to do it because Baby Boy was possessed by this evil demon guy, Trigon. We think he did it because his hair was an embarrassment to the family. Draw your own conclusion. <laughs> uh, number seven, Mariko Yashida. According to recent insurance industry estimates, in ascending order, the four most lethal occupations are pro wrestler, stuntman, attack dog provoker, and superhero love interest. Wolverine's old flame Mariko falls into the latter category, but oddly enough, she wasn't an innocent casualty of some weird interstellar superhero battle. Instead, she died of blowfish toxin poisoning. Hey, don't 
don't laugh. That's serious business. After all, Homer almost died from the same stuff on The Simpsons. Don't! Oh, and I actually have that issue. My buddy Galen gave me a huge stack of Wolverine comics along with another assortment of comics. And so I finally read that one. I was like, oh, wow. That's how she went, huh? Number eight is Captain Marvel. Remember Jason Todd? Sure you do. What did he and Marvel have in common? They both got waxed in stories written by the Grandmaster of Comic Book Death, Jim Starlin. When Starlin offed Captain M, he did it in deluxe fashion, Marvel's first ever graphic novel, The Death of Captain Marvel. He also did it in mundane fashion by comic turns, Marvel died of cancer. Hey, it might be more glorious to die in battle with a giant squid, but it made for a good story. Number nine is Metamorpho. Poor old Rex Mason. His wife dubbed him. His father-in-law hated him. The pizza boy brought him anchovies when he ordered pepperoni. He drove a Yugo. The worst part of all, he should have been the ass-whippingest guy of the DC Universe. He was the element man. He could change his body into any element he wanted. Even lanthanum, atomic number 57, atomic weight 138.91, and do whatever he wanted. And he never took advantage. Death was a blessing for the poor lug. Number 10 is Blink. Hey, she usually makes our regular list. Yep, dead or alive, people sure do love that Blink chick. The funny thing, death may have been a relief for Metamorpho, but it was a darn good career move for Blink. She got considerably more popular after she croaked. Before she became the big martyr chick, she was just one of the million X-Men characters. Now she's the one everyone wants to see but won't be able to. Hey baby, death becomes you. That's pretty hilarious. Now we've figured out who the most dead characters are, but maybe uh, this is a guy who ought to be dead, as Wizard puts it, because they pegged him as the Mort of the Month. This month's mort is Wild Dog. Evildoers beware, it's Wild Dog. A tough-talking, street-walking, vigilante guy armed with a bad t-shirt, goalie mask, and a pair of stun gloves that knock people loopy. Ooh, shocky gloves, we're scared. Anywho, part-time crime fighter, part-time auto mechanic, Jack Wheeler, size cliche mob-connected wife, killed in cliche fashion by the cliche rival gangsters, and swore cliche revenge. So he put on the worst wardrobe he could find and killed the bad guys. And they made a comic out of this cheap-ass Punisher knock. Off. And he's still alive? Somebody put this guy in the board graveyard fast! <laughs> so this is a character that I always see in the back issue bins. I definitely know about Wild Dog, and I am a hundred percent convinced that James Gunn is gonna bring him back for season two of The Peacemaker. There's no way. If he had Vigilante in there, Wild Dog is like tailor-made to be a part of the Peacemaker universe. So if you see those in your back issue bins, I feel like you gotta grab them now while they're a quarter because this is a guy who's going to get, you know, however long it takes for them to get to that season, he's definitely going to be rising up in uh, at least notability. So there you go. That is our top 10 heroes and villains of the month who are dead. And hey, let's get ready to close this shop up. What do you say? So 
So, what do you have to look forward to on Wizards, the podcast guide to comics? Well, I will tell you on YouTube, you will have seen our Halloween costume contest video. Yes, every year we get together, Michael and I, to take a look at the awesome cosplay submitted to Wizard. So this is another chance to do that. Also, coming up as our next episode, we are going to be joined by Peter Melnick from the Marvelous podcast, and we are going to be discussing the Heroes Reborn special that Wizard published because they were very excited about Heroes Reborn ending and getting back to what they were considering the status quo. So that will be a very fun conversation coming your way. Of course, uh, we also have a lot of fun things going on now because we are prepping for our second annual Superhero Fantasy Draft, okay? So this is a very exciting event. Last year was a big one. We only have 10 slots for this. Priority is going to our patrons first, so we will let you know how many slots are available on our social media, but stay tuned if this is something you want to participate in, because as I've mentioned before, we're talking about Valiant Image, Defiant, Ultraverse, Dark Horse characters. Like, we're we're not just going Marvel and DC for this one. There might be a few oddballs from the 90s mixed in there, but overall, this is the indie comics draft that we're doing, so it might be of interest to a lot of you out there. So just keep in mind uh, that that will be coming up in June is what we're planning for, so we'll be dropping some details on how you can submit your desire to participate with us on that live event. Of course, we want to stay in touch with you in the meantime on social media media on Twitter at Wizards Comics, on Instagram at Wizards underscore comics. Of course, patreon.com forward slash Wizards Comics is where for $5 a month, you can get a full scan of each issue we're covering. You'll get an early release, uncut, unedited version of the episodes, which usually contains up to 20 minutes of extra conversation before and after the episode starts. Of course, we also have a lot of other perks that jump into there. And in fact, there might be some more coming your way soon. So I'm not going to give you all the details yet, but just telling you, uh, you might want to consider becoming a patron in the coming months to get some extra value and extra content. Of course, we also want to just point you to our Tee Public store. You know, it's getting to be convention season here. If you want to wear a Wizards, the podcast guide to comic shirt, you want to wear some merch. When you do that, if you send us a picture, we're going to send you an issue of Wizard Magazine. Okay, we're just, we have extras in the archives and we will say thank you by giving you a vintage copy of Wizard. Okay, so thanks for spreading the word. Thanks for supporting the podcast. So just tpublic.com and find Wizards, the podcast guide to comics over there. Of course, stay subscribed to the YouTube channel. I mentioned the Halloween costume video, but we're going to be doing more top 10 videos and more haul videos. There's always new stuff coming into the archives, new and strange items in particular, what I'm very excited to share with you all. So stay tuned for that. But hey, in the meantime, keep your books bagged and boarded. This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.